What's going on in the marketplace these days is that everyone is hoping that the Fed starts cutting ASAP. But the issue is that if the Fed starts cutting and you're not at the 2% inflation target yet, then market players are going to drive the long end part of the yield curve higher. And that's what we're seeing. And the long end is experiencing significant headwinds these days uh, of you know historical magnitude. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to this week's economic podcast from Interactive Brokers. Joining me to discuss U.S. economics this week, Steve Sosnick. Welcome, Steve. Hello, Andrew. Steve is Interactive Brokers Chief Strategist and welcome Jose Torres. Hi, Andrew. Great to be here. And Jose is down in West Palm Beach and is our senior economist. So not only, let's jump straight into the jobs report. Not only was the September jobs report twice as strong as expected, but the previously released data was revised upwards. Jose, your take, jobs market, good or bad? I think it's a mixed bag. We've had a strong headline reading and we saw leisure and hospitality lead with big job gains. However, the report did have a non-cyclical tilt because once again, government education and healthcare made up almost half of total job gains, which means that the other cyclical areas like construction, manufacturing, retail, et cetera, didn't add jobs that at that fast of a rate. Now, in terms of what I think investors were focused on were implications from the report that may support a more dovish Fed. So we saw wage pressures stay at two-tenths of a percent, which is fairly consistent with 2% inflation. We saw 90,000 people enter the labor force, and that was a strong development as well because we need those supply factors to help support the downward trajectory of inflation. The Fed's monetary policy is starting to slow the economy. We're seeing that as folks enter the labor force, the effects of higher interest rates, loftier prices, and a reduced credit availability is making folks go out there and acquire employment. And that's a good development for inflation. It leads to employers not having to pay a ton of money for every prospective employee. So Steve, you've got some explaining to do, at least on behalf of the stock market. Stocks saw red as a result of a big uh, jobs gain, but then finally turned green. What was happening there? Well, there's a bit to unpack. Friday was an interesting day. You know, the first reaction was, oh my, you know, that number was enormous. It blew away every economist expectation, mm. blew away consensus, and it blew away the highest estimates. And there were positive revisions. So that was a lot for the market to swallow. But then you start to look through it. And, you know, Jose mentioned the, the other parts that were not as negative, you know, not as unfriendly, let's call it for bonds or for Fed policy, and possibly somewhat friendly. And, and somewhat friendly is probably good enough for this equity market here. Bonds sold off very sharply as a result and then started to rally. But there were two factors in there that I think were somewhat, I hate to say seasonality, but very esoteric. Number one is you have a holiday in the bond market today as we're taping Monday. So I do think there was a certain amount of, of position covering after that initial downdraft. I think you started to see some shorts get covered ahead of the long weekend. And that was that provided a little bit of a lift to the bond market. Once the bonds started to stabilize, so did stocks. 
On top of it, remember, every Friday is zero DTE day for <laughs> weekly options. And I know we focused a lot on zero dated options and their and their effect, but the phenomenon of, of sort of this gamma-related move on Friday afternoons has been around since early 2021. I, I look back and saw when I started writing about it. That was at least the first time I could find that I wrote about it. So both of those combined, once you, know, you sort of lit the candle, off we went. And I think that... Those two factors led to the the rally. Also, remember we you know there were some comments that we that we got into some oversold extremes earlier in the week. The put call ratio had had jumped higher, so the stage was set for a rally. Although this one, you could argue, got a little got a little kooky at the end. Well, let's stick with the bond market. The yield on the ten year Treasury flew to the highest since about 2007. We're right up there around 480, I think, on Friday afternoon or Friday morning in response to the jobs report. Jose, let me ask you, the bond vigilantes, are they back? I think so, Andrew. And what's going on in the marketplace these days is that everyone is hoping that the Fed starts cutting ASAP. But the issue is that if the Fed starts cutting and you're not at the 2% inflation target yet, then market players are going to drive the long end part of the yield curve higher. And that's what we're seeing. And the long end is experiencing significant headwinds these days uh, of you know historical magnitude. When you look at the level of issuance, the budget deficits that we've been running, persistent inflation, you know, geopolitics. The Fed unwinding its balance sheet, which is a huge headwind every week when we see 20 to 40 billion come off of their balance sheet, that's 20 or 40 billion that needs to be absorbed by the private markets, right? Banks, regionals, and big banks alike aren't buying as much anymore. You know, they're a little concerned about commercial real estate and consumer loans, which I think can be problematic as well. So the treasuries are catching a bid, but from more price sensitive buyers like individuals and hedge funds, you know, the Fed, when they were buying bonds, they weren't price sensitive. They were buying bonds at any price. So so I think those are some of the developments that we're seeing. Also, to add a little a bit, a little bit of color on what Steve was saying earlier on oversold conditions in the equity market, we saw the bears really try to attack the 4,200 level on the S&P and the 20 level on the VIX. You know, we saw that several times and that proved to be unsuccessful. And I think that also supported conditions for a bounce, particularly on a Friday where, you know, sometimes I, I envision a lot of a lot of folks in a chat room saying, OK, now it's time to buy calls, you know, kind of like, you know, back at me mania. Not not as extreme as back then, but I do envision uh, some of that stuff going on when we just see this ferocious dip buying and, you know, it's the middle of the day and it just it went green. And then by one o'clock or two o'clock, now we're really green. And it was just two hours ago. We were really red. So these are mind boggling reversals. But the tell the tell on days like that is you see a lot of activity coming in whatever the next strike is above the market, whether we're looking at, you know, the ETFs or individual stocks. You know, then if enough buying comes in, it pushes it toward that level. And those who are making money, then rather than just simply taking the profits, they roll them up to the next strike and rinse, repeat. And on a day like that, where you know you get to do that several times, so I think that's how they 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 take on a life of their own. Although it was interesting that that we didn't continue right into the close. It was a little bit of profit taking, so not everybody was 
was convinced that this was the be-all, end-all. Just as I mentioned, there was short covering in bonds. Um, I think there was some profit-taking in stocks that, you know, not everybody wanted to go home long over the weekend. Steve, what do you think, just to wrap up on bonds there, what is the impact in terms of higher for longer? How, how does it change your the, the landscape, do you think? Well, let me first say that higher for longer really should be replaced with high for longer. It's not clear to me that we're going to be higher, at least in terms of short end. It's it's not a done deal that we're going to be seeing a rate hike between now and the end of the year. It's not out of the question, but realistically, even no one's really expecting much beyond that, especially with some of the improving labor dynamics that Jose referred to earlier. High for longer? Sure. And let's put things in perspective. On a long-term historical basis, we're about normal now. This isn't high. It's high relative to the post-global financial crisis era where we got used to a decade plus of relatively zero rates. You know, getting some interest on your on your savings is a historically is normal. People normally demanded some sort of return on investment on, on their on their risk-free investments. The problem we run into is and and we could have a whole 2-hour podcast on this one, but just the thing to keep in mind and the dislocations that come is very low rates favor borrowers, higher rates favor savers. And I think as we, over 15 years, we became, we were already a nation of borrowers and we really became a nation of borrowers. And now favors savers. Well, that's a good, good little rhyme there I wasn't intending. But um, the environment that favors savers is a bit of a different place for, you know, for us to be. And so, yes, it's high. It's highish. It's high now relative to where we were. But I would say instead, we're more normalized historically than than being you know out than being too high now. I agree, Steve. And one dynamic that's been changing significantly over the last ten to fifteen years is you can't just in this era you can't just refinance and solve all your problems like that. You know, we're seeing that in the real estate sector where a lot of folks now are stuck with underperforming properties and the financing options of the last 15 years just aren't there. And it really changes human behavior, you know, to the extent that I, we believe, I, I believe that we're going to be high for longer. You know, it's going to, instead of incentivizing borrowing and over leverage, we're encouraging, you know, saving and planning. So it's, I think there's going to be some other shifts as we move forward as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. We could we could talk about this for, we, we could probably do one of this for, for that'll, that'll be an hour long podcast and still not resolve it. Now, I want to loop back to something Jose said earlier. He used the word geopolitics. Steve, looking beyond US macro, what impact is this unfortunate situation in the Middle East like this have on both oil and safe haven assets. In theory, this should be a risk-off type of day, type of an event. The one thing I always remind myself and other people of is U.S. equity traders are particularly bad at discounting geopolitical events. They, we, are very good at pricing in things that hit the bottom line of individual stocks. You know, what is this going to do for, for sales, earnings, cash flows, the things that uh, allow us to do equity pricing in, in a normalized sense? When there's so much uncertainty, equity traders tend to get it wrong. They tend to take their cues from other markets in some cases. And, you know, you, had, you did have a bit of a leap in oil prices. But remember the moves we've had in oil over the past week and a half. We were flirting with relatively medium term highs and then sort of collapsed last week. And, and at least as we're taping this, some of that's come back. And I would say that commodity traders are very good at supply demand dynamics going forward. We're not getting any clues or sufficient clues today, Monday, 
from the fixed income markets because they're closed. So I think equities are sort of left adrift, which is why you've sort of had a little bit of a sell-off. It's not clear to me that we wouldn't have had a little bit of a sell-off anyway after the move we had on Friday. Equity traders know this isn't good. Anyone with a conscience or a soul knows that this is not a good scenario right now uh, for anyone. But as far as as far as pricing stocks, it's certainly not good news. But it is it, how much of a headwind it is. You got to here's the basic question: Does this really disrupt the market's mindset over the magnificent seven stocks in the long term? I don't know. Jose, any any interjection at the end there? To the extent that geopolitical event leads to a lighter Fed through an indirect way, then maybe that could support the magnificent seven to an extent, but. With the tenure at these levels, you know, and the Fed continuing to unwind its balance sheet, it appears to me that equity valuations are particularly stretched. And um, like Steve, you write in a lot of your commentaries, you know, that can that can remain that <laughs> way for a long time, you know? Tune into the podcast that Cassidy Clement and I did regarding market jargon, where I get into markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Sorry, didn't I just had a shameless plug there for different, for another IBKR campus property. You know, Steve, I was literally about to mention that same exact quote. <laughs> okay. Well, you teed it up perfectly. But yeah, um, I mean, overall, um, you know, geopolitical events, we, we there's a lot of wild cards out there. We don't know where the big players are going to align. You know, there's reports saying that Iran is involved. We don't know Moscow, Beijing, Riyadh, what positions they're going to take. So there's a lot of uncertainty out there. I'm still on recession watch. I think the two catalysts that I'm mainly watching is the banking sector and how they handle this significant rise in yields alongside trouble in commercial real estate asset valuations across office, apartment buildings, and retail. And then also consumer loans. We're seeing some auto loan delinquencies, credit card delinquencies rise. Uh, and then the, the, on the other side, I'm expecting the possibility that consumer demand really falls off a cliff into year end. So those are the two factors I'm watching for a possible recession next year. And I thought I was had a sober view of things. <laughs> Thanks, Jose. <laughs> gentlemen thank you very much we're gonna we're gonna have to leave it there uh don't forget folks listen to ibcar podcast for all other episodes and steve mentioned the sense of security podcast channel for all of you financial literacy uh education and you can catch more from jose at tradersacademy.com and look up the economics lessons guys thank you very much for joining me thanks today. andrew thanks jose great pleasure thanks steve thanks andrew for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. 
consumers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Any discussion or mention of an ETF is not to be construed as recommendation, promotion, or solicitation. All investors should review and consider associated investment risks, charges, and expenses of the investment company or fund prior to investing. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice.